Welcome to Geared Up. I am Claire McGrain, the Geared Up producer, and I'm coming to you live from the GeekWire Summit here in Seattle. This is our big annual event with some of the biggest technology leaders in the country, including Jamie Siminov. He is the founder and CEO of smart home device maker Ring. You probably know them for their doorbells. Todd literally just got off stage where he interviewed Jamie about Ring, which you probably know because it was bought by Amazon earlier this year for reportedly more than $1 billion. So instead of a traditional geared up episode, we are going to share that interview with you this week. We'll be back with our regular episode next week. And until then, here is Todd speaking with Ring founder and CEO, Jamie Siminoff. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks. All right. So, Jamie, a lot of people, welcome to this, welcome to the Geek <laughs> Summit, you. by Thank the way. You. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So, a lot of people will remember you from a scene back in November of 2013, that's when it aired, on Shark Tank, and this oh. was you <laughs> sitting there. The company obviously had a different name at this point, Doorbot. I want to start by talking about your entrepreneurial journey because it's been highs and lows and the lows have been really low and the highs have been really high. Take us back to this moment. Um, I mean, this was just a, yeah, this one gives me like PTSD. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, I'm literally in the garage trying to build a hardware startup, which is basically impossible. We have three people. Um, you know, and I go on Shark Tank, we're completely broke. We need money to get this thing sort of to the finish line. And, you know, at the bottom of your screen, you see Mark Cuban there. And I was, I was convinced going on that I was going to get Mark Cuban to invest. And he literally within, it was so quick that he's just like, Jamie, blah, blah, it's great, but I'm out. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I kind of went down the line and everyone went out and uh, I went back to my garage broke and uh, broken. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough day. You had, I think, eight employees at this point? Something like that, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a tiny. And you spent ten dollars to $20,000 on that set. Yeah, that was a, it was funny. So I, I, I'm on the, the Shark Tank producers are like this, this lady, Kate, who I'm still friends with, um, yeah, I have this vision that we're going to have this door and this thing. And I'm like, that's amazing. I love it. Like, absolutely. I'm like, do you want it? Like, do you have any color? Like, whatever. And she's like, wait, you're building this, not us. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, I'm like, really? So we had to build this. Now, today, they actually do the sets for the companies. Um, but back then, you literally had to build your own set. And so I had, we're in Los Angeles, so like, what do you do? You like, look in the yellow pages, and you call a set builder. And so Dr. Wood came over, who is just this crazy guy. And in my backyard, he builds a full set. Like, we literally, and we still buy, still in the entrance of our lobby, that thing is still in the entrance to our lobby today. So you walk away empty-handed. What's that drive home like? And then walk us through that, that psychological process. Uh, I mean, I think this is where people want to hear that, like, you know, I just knew I was going to make it. The drive home sucked. Um, because it's not even like when your office is in your garage, like, failure is like a double hit. Because you drive home to, like, get away from the thing. And you have, like, your three puppy dog, you know, employees are sitting in the garage looking at you being like, what happened? And you're like, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, like, 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 so, I mean, it was, we just didn't have it. And... Um, yeah, the, the, the good news was I was so over my skis. I, I was so over-invested in this thing. I had everything in it. 
that all I could do was keep going. Like, stopping at this point was just literally, it was not, like, stopping was death. And so you just at least do the one thing that might not be death, which was going forward. And so I, I, it wasn't that I was like a motivational person or had like a real positive attitude. I just didn't want to actually die. And so I kept, kept pushing it forward. So I want to talk about what happened after that. But let's go back to the original inspiration for this yeah. product. This, do you see the, the I's, the O's with the little, that was, everyone hated that. <laughs> <laughs> so... This is a true story of invention. It's yeah. a classic entrepreneurial story because you were solving a problem. Tell us about the problem. So I had, I had uh, decided, uh, much to the chagrin of everyone around me, that I was going to go in my garage and just start working on this list of inventions that I had. And so everyone thought I'd lost my mind. Um, and looking back, I probably had because I didn't have the money to just go in my garage and work on inventions. And when I was in the garage, I was working on completely different stuff than this. And my, I couldn't hear the doorbell. And so I went out and bought one of those wireless doorbells from Home Depot. It didn't reach to the garage, thank God. And so I went on Amazon and looked like for a Wi-Fi doorbell, just figured why wouldn't just go to my phone. Didn't exist. So I built this thing, which by the way, like that's probably about the right size of it up there. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's what I put on my front door. And my wife, who... At this point, there was, I had these grow tables in the backyard, not for what you're thinking, for a <laughs> gardening system to grow vegetables and things like that. Um, so, I mean, like, the house has been taken over by all these, like, ideas. And she, instead of taking a crowbar to this thing, I show her what it is. I show her, like, you know, how I'm kind of doing it. And she's like, this is great. This makes me feel much safer at home. And so, it, like, the, the thing that wasn't the invention, which is kind of funny became the product and, and the focus and, and ended up becoming Ring. So you were creating something that you thought was cool that solved the problem for you, but your wife added something there. This yeah. is something that you now call an infinite truth, right? Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, that's, I, I, should, I, I really steal that from Jeff and Amazon, um, which, you know, why not? It's good people to steal from. But... Um, you know, they have these, at Amazon, there's like these infinite truths of, you know, people are going to want more selection for what they want to buy. They're going to want faster delivery. Like, these are things that, like, no matter what, no matter how technology changes, we're going to want lower prices. Um, we're going to want home security. Uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to want to feel more secure in our neighborhoods. And so Ring's mission from really that time when my wife said, this makes me feel safer at home, I said, wow, you know, not only does it make you feel safer at home, I think it actually makes you safer because people are coming to the front door. We're now answering it from wherever we are. This could actually reduce crime in neighborhoods. And that became our mission, to reduce crime in neighborhoods. And that's what we've now spent the last you know, six-plus years focusing on and what I'll continue to spend focusing on at Amazon. It's been fascinating. I was looking back at some of the news clips, actually. You got so much amazing earned media, as they call it, in the PR and communications business. And you did it in a really interesting way. You ran trials with police departments. Yeah. How did you pull that off? Because the news reports you got were, like, better than advertising. Yeah, and we would, I mean, I, and, you know, you try as a startup sometimes to get, like, some of these media things, and you never know how they're going to go. And sometimes they fall flat. I think you just keep trying is really the, the thing. But we did early on, we worked with the LAPD, um, you know, we were lucky that we were in Los Angeles and that has one of these sort of a really great police department. Um, we were able to work with them, create, take a neighborhood, and we said we want to give rings 
to a neighborhood, and we want to cover the neighborhood and see how, like, that crime goes after six months. And so we convinced, like, a, a local precinct of the LAPD to do it, the area called Wilshire Park. The funniest part is I go and I speak at their, like, homeowners association for this, like, 400 homes. And I'm like, we're going to give everyone these rings and all this stuff. We were so new that no one would take a free ring. Because it was like, what is this thing? You know, it'd be like me coming up and saying, I'm going to give you like a widget. And you're like, what's a widget? What does it do? And so it was funny looking back. We wanted to have like 80, 90% coverage of the homes. We only got 10% of the homes. So I thought right off the bat, we were like completely going to fail at this, at this like sort of first test because it was 10% of the homes, 40 out of 400. Like, you know, I don't know what impact we'll have. At the time, I really thought it had to be like almost on every home. What it taught us, which is like this is, you know, sometimes failure can have the greatest sort of, you know, like, like you know, the, the greatest things can come from these failures. What it taught us is that it's actually, ring actually protects the homes around it as much as it protects the home. Because if someone comes up and you answer, hey, how are you doing? Okay, whatever, I'm in the back, I can't come. But that person, if they're trying to do something bad, they now think that there's like someone watching them. They don't know where it is, whether it's the camera or they go outside of that area, and then the next person answers. And so having 10% of the homes with Ring, we were able to reduce crime by 55% in that neighborhood. And so it was this amazing sort of learning that, wow, we can actually be more effective than we even thought, which obviously got us even more excited to keep pushing it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from Ring founder and CEO Jamie Simonov, live from the GeekWire Summit, after this. A lot of people would look at the business in the early years and think about a KPI, revenue, sales, customers. What were your most important numbers that you yeah, thought Yeah, so, first of all, don't take any advice from me, like, like at all. I mean, you can listen, but like, I, I always say don't take any advice. We ran the business, um, and a little bit different today just because Amazon is a public company. So there are budgets and things that have to be in place as a public company. But really up until then, really no budgets and no KPIs. The only KPI we have at Ring is to reduce crime in neighborhoods. And I always told my team, if if we're building effective and affordable security products and services, if we make people's neighborhoods safer, they will reward us with their money. Don't worry about how much. And so we never had goals in the company of doing 30 million, 50 million, whatever those goals were. And I think we actually grew a lot faster because a lot of times, when, you ha- when you're on to something that can get very large, the goals you're setting, because of where you're sitting at the time of setting the goal, are way smaller than the potential of the company. And so I think I would have set a goal like, in three years, let's do 50 million in sales. Yeah, and I would have been so... But I, and I think if we had set that goal, we probably would have hit it, which would have been terrible, because we really could have done eight or ten times that. And um, so it was interesting not focusing on the business in that sense, but focusing on the customer and the effect to the customer and sort of, and, and then sort of saying, like, if we do this well, the customer will reward us. When you think back to that time frame, the 2013, 2014, 2012 time frame, what was your biggest mistake? What would you have done differently if you could go back and talk to Jamie back then? Well, like, I mean, one, you know, so I get obviously this question a lot, and it's, and it's I mean, it, it ended up really you know, as a, as a great sort of outcome for everyone. So it's, like, hard to say, like, you made a mistake. Um, you know, one thing I say is, like, we should have raised a lot more money earlier on. And then one of the responses I get when I say that is, why didn't you? 
And I just sit there because no one would give me the freaking money. Like, you know, like, like, it's like, trust me, it was like top of mind. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it, it is extremely hard. People think it's like, you always hear these like, it's easier to do this nowadays. It's easier to do that. The truth is to build a real company, like a real seven to 10 year, something that's going to impact the globe company business, I think is always next to impossible. And I mean, the numbers kind of show that. There's very few, very large, you know, you know, above 100, 200, 300 million plus businesses that sustain. And so it's just really hard. I think it's, it's, you can look back and say you made certain mistakes, but through most of those mistakes is what we learned on how to do things. And I think, you know, thankfully, we just didn't make a mistake that killed us. Um, we came very close. So the truism is there's no losing on Shark Tank. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as long, I mean I, we had a 12-minute ad on ABC, if you look at it that way, you know, giving us this uh, unbelievable bump um, you know, in November of 2013. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty good. And one of the people who I know noticed was Sir Richard Branson. How did you connect with him? Because so that was, that he became was, an investor in the company. That was, again, I mean, there's like, there's like so many surreal moments in building this business. And I'm in my, you know, with this little, we had this little crappy sort of garage that, 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 that I'd moved out of my garage into like a sort of a, a rented garage, basically. And we had almost, you know, we had like 80 people stuffed in this thing. And I'm at like my little standing desk in like the corner. And I get this email from one of our customers um, that was at Richard Branson's Island. And he said, you know, Richard, I, I didn't know. I just get this email that says Richard copied wants to get rings for his, um, his friends and his family for the holidays. Richard. Richard. Yeah. So I'm like, and, and I was, at this point, like, we're getting a little bit of success. Like, I mean, we're just starting. but like, And people would say, like, hey, what's the discount if I buy 10? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this is, like, a lot of work to, you know, to sell 10 units. And so I'm thinking, like, great, you know, thanks for copying me with Richard. And I look, and it's like, you know, XYZ email at Virgin. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Richard Branson. So we start emailing back and forth, and he's like, oh, I love it. And, you know, and I, I kind of hooked him in. I mean, I, I did this on purpose, but, you know, I'm like, oh, and, and you know, you're going to really feel good about giving these to your friends and family for the holidays because it's going to make their home safer. And he's like, a doorbell makes it safer? I'm like, actually, we just did this study, and we hadn't actually released the Wilshire Park study yet, but I had like an early video of it. And I just watch this, Richard, you know? And then he's like, next email back, like, can we invest? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's such a remarkable turn of events from the drive home uh, to that. I mean, it was so hard. Yeah. And then it was so easy. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, but then it gets hard right again. I mean, it's like yeah. that now you have Richard Branson's money. So now, like, your hero growing up has given you money and you're about to tank like his money, which makes it even more, you know, like stressful. So what was it like to have Richard Branson as an investor? He's, I mean, he's like amazing. He really is like an amazing human being. I mean, he's, he's a great person. Um, every time I talk to him, you, you know, I mean, he put a pretty significant check in. I think it was his largest investment in a non-Virgin company, um, like something that he wasn't like directly doing. Um, and so it was like a decent investment, you know, even for someone as wealthy as him. We'd talk, and he would never ask me how things were going now. It was like, what are we going to do in 10 years, in 20 years? And we'd talk about all this great stuff, and I'd be like, you know what we're really going to do? No one knows this. We're going to do this. And then he'd go to a conference and say it right after that. 
And luckily no one would ever pick up on this stuff, but he'd be like, oh, and Ring is doing it, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, oh. And no one would ever, just like kept, you know, just never got picked up. It's all good. So you get that investment. He's able to go back on the Shark Tank, uh, revisit and taunt Mr. Wonderful. Which and, was and it's very fun. It's, it's, all, it's all good. Tell us the story of how you got on Amazon's radar, because this was a story, there was not, not actually an official press release when the Ring acquisition was announced. There was a press release when it was confirmed and completed. Yeah. But, so we don't really know the story, the behind-the-scenes story of how Amazon met Ring. So and again, this is one of those, like, you know, and I, I get a lot of people that call me and say, like, I want to sell my company at Amazon, what do I do? And I'm like, well, the, start today, and in four years, you might have the opportunity to do that. Because we literally, for four years, we were doing, and, and not trying to sell the company Amazon, we were working with them on, you know, we were around the front door, they were around the front door, they were in the home with Alexa, we had cameras that could, you know, talk to you. And so it was working with them for a long time and, built, and building like real relationships where we realized that Amazon, very similar culture to Ring. You know, Amazon, like one of the core tenets of Amazon is starting from the customer working backwards. You know, at Ring, we were always starting from the mission, which was to make neighborhoods safer and sort of that, that drove everything, which is really that, that same sort of, so we had a lot of these similarities. And I think over time, Amazon got to watch how the mission and how I built the business, and they liked that. I liked how what they were doing and and where we could help, and it just it really just kind of came together very naturally. It wasn't it wasn't a force. It wasn't a um, competitive bid where we were trying to maximize it. And I had all these other bids coming in, and we chose. It was really, you know, I wanted to continue to build the business, and Amazon is one of the greatest acquirers I think ever in the world of allowing companies to still build and and be impactful post acquisition. Um, if you look at their history of even companies like Audible and IMDb, and I mean, there's Zappos. old acquisitions. Zap, I mean, Zappos, uh, uh, Twitch, that they've just allowed to continue to be great, impactful things in the world with founders still there. And I, I didn't want to leave. I wasn't looking to to get you know a cash out and go somewhere else. I really wanted to stay and and build and keep doing this. But Amazon now gives me this this sort of foundation to to do that with. Okay, we're going to take one more break. When we get back, we'll hear about Ring's plans for the future, including how it is integrating with Amazon and the company's Alexa products. That's right after the break on Geared Up. I've always been struck by that arm's length approach that Amazon takes, and I think that they really brought that into the the bulk of what they do with Zappos and Tony Shea. But it's also interesting because you were just up here in Seattle for the big Alexa rollout with the new Ring stick-up yep. cam. And I've actually got this, got that, that's yep. this right here. Yeah. $180, available on? Amazon.com. It's, it's available now. It's available now. <laughs> it is available. Um, so, but you're there, and this is Alexa-enabled in yep. contrast with your security system, which was announced at CES earlier this year, which is not natively Alexa. So clearly you're working with the Amazon team. How does that relationship work if it's arm's length but also integrated into their product announcement? So it's, what's great about Amazon, it's not arm's length in terms of, it's not like we can't integrate with them. It's that Amazon, it, it's like almost like a one-way street where we get to as Ring kind of you know, say, hey, listen, we want some help here. We'd love to integrate with this versus the big company coming in and saying, here's what you're going to do for the next year. Here's what you're going to do for two years and like forcing us into that which I think a lot of uh, companies, when they acquire, that's what they do. 
They just immediately come into this great little thing that was building, and they just, like, suffocate it. And so it's the opposite, where we get to go and say, listen, we'd love to have our cameras Alexa-enabled. Our alarm now is Alexa-enabled with Alexa Guard, which we also announced one of the 70 things that was announced on that day, is that you can now, you know, you can say, you know, Alexa, arm my alarm, and, and, and do that. And so we are now able to integrate those products in a way that's, you know, customer first and allows customers to have the best experience uh, with both, you know, Amazon products as well as other third-party products. So you have a fascinating competitor set, many of them well-known, Nest, owned by Google. And, and I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this question in such a way that you're not going to tell me that you don't focus on competitors. Because <laughs> uh, I know that is the classic. I think they might train you when they bring you on board to, to say we focus on customers, not competitors. At any rate, when you look at the competitive set, what scares you? What, what do you look at and say, I, I, we need that. Why aren't we doing that now? So I think it's, I'll say it in a little bit different way that, that's you know, probably PR friendly. But, uh, oh, no. But, okay. But it's what I always said to, to you know, our team. Um, we had some core things at Ring. And one of them was, and this is from day one, our do not look at the products that look like ours and say they're competition. They're not. Our competition is someone who has bought our product takes it home, does not feel that that experience matches their expectation of what a product should be, and they return it. That's our competition. And that is your competition. When you start to focus on the thing that looks like your product, that is, I believe, when you go underneath. It's when you start to become a me too, and it's when you stop innovating for the customer. And our competition was Apple. Because that is the, the customer's expectation of what a consumer electronic product can be. And we had to match that in fit, finish, feel, brand, packaging, customer experience, everything, so that you don't take it back and return it. So your title is still chief inventor. Yeah. Talk about the evolution from Doorbot to these products, the current ring, some of them. Yeah. This is because you've got an array of things now, but... Talk about the nitty-gritty technology here. What's changed in the time since you created Doorbot, and what are the capabilities you're able to do here because of those changes? I mean, yeah, as you get... Consumer electronics is definitely a business where scale matters. Um, access to technologies, access, access to expertise. I mean, all these things really help. And, you know, as we grew, we were able to get you know, with a defined mission, which keeps, kept us very focused, because it's also a place where you can just go willy-nilly and crazy. And you see that with some products where they just go so wide. You know, it's very easy. I always say it's easy to add the espresso machine. You know, you get these products that they have, like, they do X, Y, Z, whatever. And I'm like, where's the espresso machine? Like, does it also make coffee? Because it's like, you've just added all this crap into this thing that doesn't help a customer. And so I think having a very focused mission, I could tell you about each... Every single feature and every single, you break that product apart and do one of those really cool, you know, when they do those like 3D things where they break them apart. I can tell you about every single piece and why it was added, why there's three passive infrared uh, detectors in the battery one instead of one because of how you can do better motion detection and better false positive detection. You know, on the floodlight cam, how we have 270 degrees of motion on the bottom, which actually shapes why that thing has this sort of a little bit elongated look. Um, on the alarm, why we did you know, certain choices on the, um, on the way we did the wireless and the repeaters. And so all of that shapes the product. And I think that's the important thing, again, you know, with, you know, whether it's Amazon, how they say it, customer backwards, whether we say it is mission first. 
but I, I, I think when you're doing anything, it's so easy to just go so wide and build something that doesn't have any benefit to anyone. What's the one thing that you wish you had in terms of a technology advance as you're creating the next generation or this generation that would just open up new possibilities? Is there one area that you want to see the advances in next? Yeah, the advances in computing allow you to continue. I mean, computing is really the greatest sort of benefit to any product because the more computing you can add, then the more posts that you can do to the product. Like the, the after, you know, it, it extends the life of the product. Because I can still, you know, like, you know, Tesla with firmware upgrades on a car. Like, the, the, the firmware upgrades, all that stuff stops when you max out the CPU. And so the CPU, I'd say, is, the, is really the number one thing. You know, the, the quality of cameras now, you know, 720, 1080, 4K, like, you're starting to get to a point where it doesn't, more is better, but it's not that much better. Like, the difference between QVGA and VGA and 720, those are big. As you start to get into these 4K and 5, it, 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 it's less important um, from the security aspect. It doesn't have as much of a leap. And so I think the CPU stuff that, you know, especially going into the smaller form factor, lower cost devices, that's going to be a big game changer. What's the future of the Internet of Things? If you look three, five years out, obviously this is a key example. It's a connected device that's not a computer or not, yeah. not a classic desktop computer in the sense. What's the future of this whole ecosystem? I, th I really think the future is that it's just, and it's just like in every business. I think everything boils down to pretty simple things, which is the products that truly give you value will be extremely successful. The ones that come out because they can will fail. And I think that's what we've seen over the last couple of years. We'll continue to see it. And then what I think we'll see is we're going to have a lot of different things that are connected that are now giving you value. And then I think it's going to be the over-the-top value that you're going to get from those that are going to be super interesting, like living in place. So as you get older, you know, living in place, you know, my mom in the winter lives in New Jersey. There's a floodlight cam on her back patio. She goes outside to beat the snow off the bush. It's crazy, but she does it. But my brother, who, like, lives down, you know, like, pretty close, gets the alert on his phone. He gets to see it. He sends up me the video to, so we can laugh at it. But, but he gets to see it to make sure she's, like, okay She's alone living there. Like, the, the floodlight's not there to allow her to live in place, but it is helping with assisting to allow her to live longer in her home. And I think that's where these benefits that will come from these products, like true benefits on top of, like, the initial benefit of why you purchased it. So that clearly is one of the benefits. It was fascinating to see the reaction to Amazon Key. I believe this was prior to Ring being acquired. People were really creeped out by the idea that it would use a camera in conjunction with a door lock to allow somebody into your house that was affiliated with Amazon. What were the lessons that you took from that as somebody making a somewhat related product? And do you see limits there on the ability for consumers to adopt these devices based on privacy? I think it's a few things. One is, and this is what I do love about Amazon, it, they will try things that no other large company will try. Like Kia is, I think, a great example of something that I believe many other large companies would never take the chance on to try and learn from. And you need to keep trying and learning in a way that's obviously protecting your customers, but in a way that you know, does this. Give the customers the choice. Let them figure out what they like. Because as, as much as Key had some of that, on the other side, Key's actually very successful in the customers that have it. They love it. And I think it's, 
learn from that and then make the variables of, you know, bring yourself back so that every customer can have the choice of what's the best way that they want to, for example, secure a package. Because everyone's going to be a little bit different and then give, give the choice. One thing that you do that people may not know about is your neighbors app. And it's essentially yep. creating a community. And it's fascinating because you're connecting the people who are using Ring and also not using Ring, but you can't use non-Ring cameras with neighbors. Is yes, that you right? Can. You can. Yeah, so we have an app called Neighbors, and that's what we always, you know, at, people would say we're a hardware company, and what's the next hardware thing you're going to build? And I said, no, we're like, you know, we are, I've said it maybe once, the mission to reduce crime. So, you know, we're a mission company, and so we build products and services. And so we have this Neighbors app, which is a massively successful like on every sort of number, the most important for me being that it's actually been effective at stopping crime and catching criminals um, and, and really being able to have this, you know, this app that people can post footage and talk and, and be able to do this where, where, they're, where we're actually effectively catching people and it's totally free. You can right now add video from iPhone or Android and we're going to be actually adding more cameras because you know, one thing that Amazon has in its core is third parties. Amazon actually is very open overall. If you look at every platform, whether it's AWS or the e-commerce side, is very open to third parties. So you're going to be adding non-Amazon branded or family Absolutely. cameras. Nest, will that be among them? We will add the cameras that the manufacturers will work with us. As long as they're willing to work with us, yes. It speaks to a bigger issue because interoperability is key in all this stuff. And I think we saw a lot of silos in the smartphone world and I think a lot of us using these devices would like to just use a system that connects a Nest to a Ring to a CloudCam. Sure. Do you see that as a possibility, true interoperability in the Internet of Things? I think as, you know, as you see most stuff, as it ages, it typically interoperability gets better. Um, it goes through sort of these phases. I think we saw it on the Internet. We saw it in the, in the mobile phones. I think we'll see it in the IoT. It kind of goes up, down, up, down. Um, you know, the Internet was at one point just super sort of accessible to everything, and then it became siloed into things like Facebook, and then it sort of now seems to be breaking out again. So I think they go through these, these phases. Um, you know, from our side, if we're trying to reduce crime in neighborhoods, we have to work with what's there. It's not going to be just us. And that's just across the board. And so we've always had a pretty wide third-party approach. One of the issues with third-party is just the resources it takes, the engineering resources to do that. And that's something where we're trying to, you know, now with our new, you know, sort of foundation, we're able to do definitely more of it than we could before. That's right. Well, I want to close out where we started, which was Shark Tank. If people tune in this weekend... Uh, yeah, sun Sunday at 10 p.m., I am coming back as a shark. So... Thank you. And I know you probably can't spill the beans on whether you invested or not, but what was the experience like being on the other side of that stage? I mean, it, it, it truly was like the most, one of the most rewarding things. I mean, to, to be a real person who was in a garage and went on Shark Tank to then ending up being a shark, you, you can't like... I, you could never have set that as a goal. Uh, I mean, it really was just a, so it's a very surreal thing, very fun. The sharks are actually very nice, and I had a blast doing it. D did you tell them that they made the biggest mistakes of their lives when they let you walk out that door? I'm not that kind of person, so yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Simonoff, the CEO of Ring, thank you very much for uh, being here. Thank you guys so much. Summer. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Geared Up. 
Make sure you are subscribed to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what we do, we'd love it if you leave us a review on the platform of your choice. It helps other people find the show. We also live stream our normal podcast tapings every week. To get that behind-the-scenes look and ask us questions as we go, subscribe to Andrew's YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash gearlive. Filling in for Todd Bishop and Andrew Edwards, I've been Claire McGrain. We'll see you next time on Geared Up.